I can't believe how many families are suffering from this disease. I now know that addiction is a family disease. I thought no one in my family was an addict. I still feel scared to death every day. I don't know how to be a parent anymore. These past few years have been absolutely the toughest time of my entire life. My wife and I don't agree, and this is another big problem. I don't want this to be a secret anymore. That makes it even worse. If I have shame and guilt, how can my daughter ever get better? Being with other parents is being with people who really get it, and that helps me a lot. I've met some incredible people. I can help other people, and I feel better every time I just talk about all this stuff with my group. My life is turned upside down. Even when my son isn't doing so well, we seem to be okay. Talking with other parents helps me stay sane and not to feel so lost and alone. There are good people, good places to get help for my daughter and for our entire family. I have hope. I have to. I am not giving up my daughter. I want to help others. I've met some of the most special human beings. I'm very grateful. Talking with the other parents is helping me to stay sane. Hi, everybody. My name is Steve. My 31-year-old son is in recovery. And it startles me every day when I get to talk to him how he's doing and how it wasn't like that for such a long time and what a gift this is. And I have been reminded many times not to count on tomorrow, but I am counting on today and enjoying today very much. And I'm so glad that uh, we could be together tonight. Hi, I'm Kate and uh, boy, am I glad to be here tonight. I, uh, I had my niece with me for the weekend, so I need a little tune-up. I'm the mother of three boys. One is uh, 38 years old, and he started his journey of recovery uh, 18, soon to be 19 years ago, um, from alcohol. And my, where the main supports my husband and myself from my niece, who started her journey of recovery four and some odd years ago um, from a heroin and Xanax addiction. So, and that's been quite a ride. So I'm really glad to be here and um, looking forward to this meeting. Hey everyone, I'm Susan. I have uh, two sons. The oldest one is 25 and um, he is uh, not sober. Um, and he lives with me. Um, and my, the younger one is 23 and he has been, uh, in recovery for close to eight years. Um, we're about a month and a half out from his eighth, uh, anniversary, which is kind of crazy. Um, and my husband and I got sober, um, when our younger son got sober. So um, there's been a lot of recovery in our family um, and a lot of learning how to, um, you know, stay in my own lane and all that good stuff. So I'm really glad to be here with all of you. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm V and we have uh, two children and the youngest is in recovery, um, doing well, uh, giving back to his community in a, in a good way. And uh, I'm grateful to be here tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we had a terrible rainstorm and now the sun is out and I get to see all your faces. So um, I think it's going to be a good evening and I'm, I'm looking forward to the topic as well. Hi, everyone. I'm Peter. It's great to see you all. It's been a while for me and I miss you all. Um, uh, we have, uh, my wife and I have two sons. Our oldest is in his mid twenties and he's been struggling with, uh, uh, substance use disorder, um, since his mid teens, although we, we didn't know it, <laughs> we didn't know it for quite some time. Um, 
it, it all came to a head for us about four years ago when um, uh, he went to Karen and um, uh, it has it has not been a smooth trajectory since then. There have been ups and downs. There have been long periods of recovery and relapse. Um, but right now he's in a good place. He's back in school. Um, he's li- living a sober life. Um, seems to be working a good program. Uh, and my wife and I are doing okay too. Um, but that would not have happened on our own. And it's really because of groups like this that um, we've made it this far. So I'm super grateful <laughs> to, to be here with you all. Hi, I'm Jill. I have twin sons who uh, recently turned 27. Uh, one of them is an alcoholic. He's just about three years and three qu- three and three quarter years sober after about a five year uh, aggressive alcohol addiction. Um, these days, he's doing really well and dealing with just life stuff. Um, he recently got a promotion at a job. He has a serious girlfriend. It's just nice that to to be a part of his life that just kind of seems normal, if that's a word I can use, and not full of chaos. Um, and I'm just really happy to be here tonight. Hi, everybody. I'm Stephen. I'm new to the group, and I'm very glad to be here because I think this is a wonderful way of reaching people who need to hear. I am the father of a 28-year-old daughter who uh, has been in trouble of one kind or another for 14 years. Uh, She began with a psychiatric issue of uh, a bipolar manic episode, which was then followed by alcoholism, which became life-threatening alcoholism. She was a blackout drunk, and in the last four or five years, she has transitioned to heroin and has escaped death from fentanyl twice. Um, She is, at the moment, in recovery, and in the best recovery I've seen her be in in a while, but she's a chronic, chronic um, relapser. So I never know where it's what's going to happen. the phone rings and her voice is there and it's, I know right away it's okay and it makes me happy. And then there are other times when the phone rings and I don't know what's going to happen. Hi, my name is Jay. Uh, Steve, welcome. It's been a while. Uh, you're new to this. You're not new to groups. And I'm very happy to see you. Um, I have two children. Uh, both in recovery for five and five and a half years, Uh, son, soon to be 29. Uh, I did not think that 29 would have occurred. A very aggressive journey uh, for many, many years in many, many different institutions and four and a half years of homelessness, and he's doing very well. And my daughter, uh, less aggressive journey, um, but still difficult. And she's doing great. So for today, my wife and I are are watching them live great lives. And I look forward to discussing the pride portion of this tonight. Hi, everyone. My name is Eric Weber. I'm a clinician at Karen Treatment Center. I've been at Karen since 2007. So if math serves me right, that's about 15 years working there, 21 years in the field overall. I am a certified addictions counselor, certified in sex addiction, gambling addiction, work addiction. Uh, My official title is director of legal professionals program, which means I work with all the lawyers, judges, and law students who come in. And the senior clinician part is working with everybody else who's got complex behavioral issues um, that I can sort of step in and help with. Uh, On a personal note, I'm also an adult child of an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic, so I have an interest um, in this whole subject matter, both from a professional standpoint, as well as a personal standpoint. I think this is my second time on the podcast and I am thrilled to be here. Steve, thank you for inviting me. That's a pleasure to see everybody. Uh, so our topic tonight is shame and pride. Um, when I first saw that I was, um, 
I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Um, but, uh, but I'll tell you why. Um, I imagine I'm not alone, but I grew up in a family where it was really important to make your parents proud. Um, and some of the highest joys I experienced growing up and some of the lowest lows um, were around this issue of pride and then, you know, it's evil twin shame. Um, and then when I was a parent, I was often proud of my kids. Um, I wanted to be proud of my kids. I thought that's what you did as a parent. You encouraged your children to do things that made you proud. Um, and when both of them left high school for rehab and one of them was in and out of several um, psych hospitalizations and then in long-term uh, treatment, um, I felt this intense shame. And I, I wasn't ashamed of my children. Um, I knew that they just needed help. Um, but I felt really ashamed of myself as a mother um, because I think once you learn how to be ashamed, it's really hard to unlearn. Uh, my sister says um, sometimes that when she didn't read enough as a child, it was her fault. And when her daughter doesn't read enough, according to my mother, it's still her fault. She's like, I don't know how that works, but I think it has something to do with, you know, learning to be ashamed. Um, so today I've learned a lot of difficult lessons um, because of how substance use disorders and mental illness have affected my family. And a major one of those lessons, and I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but this is just for me, um, is that for me, pride and shame are traps. Um, in my experience, pride begets shame, um, and shame begets the addictive cycle. Um, so do I sometimes feel proud of my children? Um, I do, but I try not to talk to them in those terms anymore. Um, do I sometimes feel ashamed when they're, you know, not living up to my expectations. I do. And I try not to talk to myself in those terms anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm human. I wrestle with this stuff, but I really try to minimize my reliance on both pride and shame as ways of relating to myself and to my children today. So that's that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I really like that you brought up um, how shame and pride are both not such great feelings maybe or, or bring, bring out other things. I always thought that too much pride was hubris. It's too boastful. It's, uh, it's dangerous because something might happen. Um, and, and, uh, and, um, I remember very early on in this experience, maybe the very first meeting or second meeting that I'd ever been to as a parent of, of a child with an addiction, the leader asked us to go around the room and to uh, name a quality or share a quality about our kid that we really, really, really loved. And I was in a place at that time where I was filled with a lot of shame and, uh, not a lot of uh, reflection on any quality of his that I loved. Um, and it was a really good lesson for me. It was a good exercise, I should say. It was a really good exercise because when I started thinking about it, there were, there were lots of things that I, that I loved um, that were unique to him, you know, a sense of humor, compassion. <laughs> and the idea that, you know, this person that was, uh, uh, you know, causing me this, this, all this angst could also hold, I could hold at the same time things that I was proud, I suppose, of, of in him, or at least that I did love about him, was a really uh, good perspective for me to look at. Thanks. Thanks, Susan. I, I like the idea of the evil twin shame. You know, for me, when I saw the topic, I thought of my worthiness, both shame and pride speak to my worthiness. 
um, in the old days, uh, shame was a place that was very familiar to me. And I spent a lot of energy trying to make my parents feel proud of me. And there was a real loss of identity for me in that. And I think um, when I'm prideful about my own children, it's me taking my identity from them, you know, so that, you know, identity becomes a big thing for me with those two words. And both of them take both shame and pride, take me away from myself, take me away from a good core sense of value. You know, the, 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 the title of shame and pride um, really kind of struck me. And the word pride in particular, shame, shame is fairly straightforward. Shame is an emotion. Um, it's a feeling, state of being, thinking, what have you, um, that, that typically has a negative connotation. And I think we, when we think of pride, um, you know, it has, it's a dual-edged sword. It's, can I have good pride? Can I have hubris? Hubris, you know, we know from Greek mythologies, it's not a great thing to have. It's, it's, it's damaging. It can be, it can be, you know, self-destructive. The idea of pride, however, you know, am I proud of something in a good way, in a balanced way? Um, and, you know, being proud of, being proud of kids. Hey, you know, my kid did this. I'm very proud of them. And, and as a parent, you feel good about that and feel good for them. Um, and I think it's a delicate balance when we use the word pride um, of, of really how it's affecting us, how it's affecting the people around us. Um, and so I, I would encourage us as a group and people out there listening not to villainize the word pride, but really kind of examine how we're using it and how we're experiencing it. You know, when I think about the word pride, I, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I didn't have a lot of pride of my children growing up. Um, both of my children were, were underdogs. They both had learning disabilities. They were very tiny, so they never looked their age. And I always felt that they were just behind the eight ball. And I would go to sports events and I would listen to other parents screaming at their kids to get the puck or get the ball, knowing that their kids could do it, I would stand there thinking, my kid can't do it. And I think that sense of not being proud of certain things was clearly relayed to my son. He grew up, unfortunately, with a very low self-esteem. And a lot of that came out during his recovery. Um, and it's not the entire reason for his addiction, but it definitely contributed to it. And I look back and I feel badly that I wasn't able to be proud of who my child was just for the sake of who he was. Um, that is something I'm going to have to live with. But the, the PS to the story is, I am so proud of who he is now as an adult, the life he's created um, in his recovery. And to me, that brings me so much pride. Um, I guess I feel like I'm kind of making up for that. Um, I have to say that for the first five years or so of this journey that my late wife and I were taking with my daughter, I um, was contorted by shame. We set her up for what looked like us to be a great education. She was in a good place. She was in very good schools. And somewhere around the age of 13 or 14, she crashed and burned. And I had tremendous difficulty, first of all, internally, giving up the idea that this child of ours was not going to be a, quote, normal kid. She was not going to be a normal kid. This was never going to be okay in the sense that a lot of our friends and colleagues had kids who were flourishing and doing well were okay. Then externally, 
I was ashamed and covered up, lied, evaded, did everything I could to not tell people, even people who were legitimately curious about what was happening with our daughter, um, what was going on or anything about what was going on. Um, the doorman in our building, I lied to. I don't know who the hell we thought we were fooling because they saw her regularly. But I, I, was, I was ashamed and it took me a long time to reach the point where I was ready to tell the truth. Um, so I would stand on the mountains now and shout how proud I am of my kids. But I don't, because um, I'm not sure that's appropriate. But this disease I've learned over many years is incredibly difficult to overcome or to put into, re <clears throat> into remission. And if I'm not proud of anything other than the fact that my children are five and five and a half years sober, that is beyond a, a, a large amount of pride for me. Um, I, I just has had the experience of coming to meetings like this uh, for many, many years and listening to the stories and learning how difficult it is uh, to gain sobriety. Um, so again, for no other reason, I would be extremely proud. And there are plenty of other reasons. And I would say that the proud part so trumps the shame part for me that I don't even think of the shame part anymore. And I don't recall thinking about it a lot back then. Yeah, Jay, I, I, that really resonates with me because for me, um, you know, uh, I, I grew up in and, and I suppose whether I knew it or not, I was raising my kids, um, you know, in an environment in which to some extent, even if it was unstated, high achievement was expected and, you know, sort of all, all the usual markers of achievement of, you know, good grades in school and you go to this college and you go to grad school and blah, 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 you get this kind of job. And when it became apparent that our older son, you know, was going a very different route, um, definitely had, uh, you know, a certain amount of shame over that, had a lot of grief over that, as I think Stephen alluded to, which also resonated with me. Um, but, you know, when I started to understand and, you know, come to meetings like this and, and, and the family education program at Karen and I, and I sort of got in touch with uh, and, and try and stay in touch with my powerlessness, actually a lot of that kind of, you know, it didn't go away, but it definitely subsided. For me, the harder aspect of shame to deal with is my own, my own shame, my shame at my own behavior. And, you know, in, in, in the sort of ignorant days and sort of the dark times before I knew much about what was going on, I, I barely understood what was going on. Um, and, I, and I hadn't gotten educated at all. You know, I did not act in ways that were useful to my son. I did not act in ways that made my wife's life easier. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the fact that she didn't like, you know, smother me in my sleep is like, you know, a testament to her uh, patience. Um, and, you know, I stay in touch with that shame because I try never to go back there, right? It's a, it's a reminder to me a little bit of, you know, lessons learned and let's not go there again. I appreciate that, Peter. Um, I, I also... Um... I, I realize that um, I'm ashamed of all the cover-up that I did as well. Um, cover-up for mostly, I guess, for myself, you know, to protect myself. But, but I was doing it uh, outwardly the way Stephen said. And I laughed when you said about the doorman, because we all know if you live in a city, the doorman knows everything, <laughs> everything. <laughs> So it, it was a it was a bit of a farce, you know, and I was uh, thinking I was protecting myself. And now I look back, I realize that if I if I um, 
hadn't been so, so good at the cover up, maybe we would have gotten, we all would have gotten some help sooner. And that, you know, V, V, um, I don't live in the city. I was the doorman and I didn't have a clue. So <laughs> I don't, I don't quite understand how the doorman in the city know everything. Oh, uh, maybe that's why you're sitting in this room with us. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say, Jay, thank Thanks for the reminder about staying in the fight. You know, my niece started this journey about four uh, and a half years ago, and she maintained sobriety for abstinence sobriety for about two and a half years. The last two years have been in and out, in and out, in and out. And um, I sometimes lose sight of how hard this fight is for her that sometimes the only thing she can do in the course of the day is stay in the fight. And she keeps coming back, you know, and for that, I'm grateful. But I, you know, and, and my compassionate self, when I'm in that space, I can say, you know, wow, staying in the fight is enough. And actually staying in the fight is enough. And then my expectations get in the way. And then I get some shame on those expectations. You know, what do I want? But, you know, she is staying in the fight. She keeps going back. She keeps trying again. And I have to be very grateful for that. So after, after many meetings, I found myself realizing I was more ashamed of myself than I ever realized. And that part of the meeting's impact on me was realizing the depth of that, of that feeling. And it hurt a great deal. And I'll be damned. I'm not going to, I don't need to scream out my pride. I need to tell myself. I need to tell myself that, that I wasn't the worst father. That I didn't do everything wrong. I may be powerless over so much, but I can be so impactful in, in ushering my son towards recovery and, and, and thankfully in a position to provide options that I try to get him to select, and he has. So I don't need to scream at the mountaintop, but I need to tell myself that I can be proud of my being a father, that I'm not a failure father. That my identity isn't one who did, didn't do good by my boy. And that's the kind of pride I need. I need for myself. You know, one of the things I hear, and I appreciate that, Steve. I, one of the things I'm hearing is people talking about sort of their internal experience. And one of the things we talk to our patients about at Karen is the difference between guilt and shame. And there is a difference between guilt and shame. And as we define it very simply, Guilt is feeling badly about what I've done or not done. And shame is feeling badly about who I am. And I don't know any parent. I don't know any parent who hasn't felt guilty about something they, they've done or haven't done. Um, and so uh, self-disclosure, I'm 48, born, born in 1973. I have an older brother. And my mom would tell this really great story about how she was reading this book on parenting. I forget who it was by, but it was, you know, mid-late 70s. And of course, you walk into a bookstore, you get a book on parenting. And she was trying to implement whatever new strategy it was uh, on my brother, who is um, genius level, precocious, eight-year-old kid, did something, and normally expected three swats on the backside, go to your room for an hour, think about what you've done, came out. My mom's employing this new technique. <laughs> and my brother, by the story my mom told, my brother's standing in the kitchen just staring at her just staring at her. He's like, mom, what are you doing? Just smack me on my ass and send me to my room. Like, that's what you need to do. Right. And so this is this kind of very funny story. My mom would tell with some chagrin. And, you know, it's one of those things. I think every parent does the best they can with the resources they have on any given day. And I tell my patients the same thing. You know, you do the best you can do on any given day with the resources that you have. Every parent I've ever run across has some amount of guilt of I should have done this or I should have done that versus shame. And I think every parent's 
worry is I'm not a good enough parent who I am inside. And I think on some level, being able to take a look at yourself and saying, okay, maybe I could have done this a little bit better, that a little better, but I'm still a good parent. I've done the best I could on any given day with the resources available and whatever those resources are usually time and energy. So Eric, thank you for saying that. Cause you know, that, that really frees up a lot of emotion in me. Um, living with shame was exhausting. Uh, when, when my son first went into recovery, I, I lived with this shame uh, exactly as you said, I thought I was the shittiest mom. I had caused this. I had made my son this addict. I missed all the cues. Um, but it was exhausting because it just zapped everything in my life. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think straight. I walked around hating the world. I mean, yeah, we can call it a, a depression. We can call it a trauma reaction. But it just, life sucked. And coming to parent support groups like this and being able to talk about it and being able to become educated and realize that I didn't cause it um, freed me up of that shame and gave me my life back or gave me the ability to work on getting my life back. Um, I, I'm, I want to echo a lot of what has been said here, and I want to add one thing. One of the things that I have picked up in the 12-year odyssey we've been going through is that shame is not only uncalled for, I have an allergy to it. I've tried to go over all the real mistakes, real mistakes that we made. I've got about a list of about six and they were pretty good mistakes, but shame gets in the way of your relation to your kid. That's for sure. It is a big block, a blockade, a screen between you and the kid. They will feel it. They'll feel their sh that you are ashamed of them and it'll help them make them more ashamed of themselves. And it is blinding. It is not an intelligent way of thinking of how you're running your life. Yeah, I agree, Stephen. I feel like for me, um, shame is paralyzing. Um, and it becomes like, you know, like I said earlier, a trap because then I'm just thinking about myself, you know, how did I mess up? What a terrible mother I've been, you know, what are other people thinking about me and how are they judging me? Um, I become very, um, you know, I'm just like a snake swallowing its own tail. Um, and my allergy to the idea of pride, I think really comes from this thing. Like I celebrate my kids when they achieve their goals. Um, and I, you know, celebrate them all the time. I'm very happy for them, um, and encourage them to be happy for themselves. But what I don't want to foster is a situation where they feel like they need to take care of my feelings in order for everyone to be okay. Um, and that's what I associated parental pride with perhaps, um, because of my own childhood, but that's what I'm definitely always trying to steer clear of. Yeah, so someone earlier talked about, uh, briefly mentioned um, expectations. And um, when my children were born, I assume that I thought they should go to high school, complete it uh, successfully, go to college, and maybe even graduate school because that's what I did, that's what my wife did, and that's what many members of the family have done. Um, and my son uh, did not complete high school successfully. He was uh, at Karen, and uh, I was talked out of thinking that he should come home and complete high school. Uh, in hindsight, that was wonderful advice. Uh, he received his GAD of, GED a few weeks later. But... Um, 
I, I just put things in perspective. What I thought should have happened when my children were born and many years along the way didn't happen and in hindsight maybe should not have happened. Anyway, um, my son is employed, uh, fully financially independent. My daughter's employed. Uh, she has an associate's degree. My son does not have any college. Uh, we help her um, because she's in a profession that doesn't pay very well. And I'm very proud. That's part of the pride. Um, expectations and perspectives and changing as things go along. Pulling the audible for me was very important. Um, otherwise, I would probably still have a lot of shame. And why could this have happened? How did this happen? But the audibles that I did and my wife's done along the way have been extremely liberating and helpful. And I have no regrets looking back uh, and am very proud. And although I don't get on top of the uh, rooftops and yell it, and I don't tell my children, I think that was interesting, Susan, what you said earlier. Uh, I, I, I don't tell them how proud I am all the time because I think they'll know it from my actions. And I had told them a number of times and it becomes maybe somewhat diluted or something, but I'm very proud of them. And they are doing nothing that I expected I would be proud about 27 and 29 years ago. So I wish I was a little better student through the meetings and the books and the lectures. Maybe it was when there was a relapse and I realized that this wasn't really just, you go fix it and then everything is good. Maybe that's when I realized how much trouble I was in. And, and I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I did wonder over and over and over, maybe I didn't love this kid the right way. Maybe my idea of who I was, was at odds with the reality of where we were at. I mean, this was the biggest fuck up I could imagine in my entire life. And all these really smart people were telling me, I didn't cause it, you can't cure it. They're telling me all the things. And that all sounded good for everyone else, but probably not really for me and that we would fix it. But I didn't fix it and I wasn't good at that. And it's taken years to wrap my brain around that. And I'm still rapping. I'm still rapping to try to, uh, to, try to keep, that, uh, keep that all uh, together. Put a bow on top of the rapping, Steve. It's better. <laughs> I know, I, Steve, I, I can definitely relate to the, the, you know, the, the work in progress because I, I feel that way a lot. But, um, you know, over the time of, of you know, our, our journey with our son, you know, I have a different relationship with, with pride now. Um, and uh, I think it's a little bit maybe similar to what Jay was talking about. You know, I'm, I'm a lot quieter about it. It's, you know, it's, it's something that lives in me. You know, the, the, the lessons about staying in my own lane and about my own powerlessness, um, you know, have, have taught me that even if I wasn't conscious of it, you know, my, my kids are not extensions of me, right? They are their own people and they're both adults now. And, you know, and, they, and it needs to be that way. And so to the extent that I am proud of them, and I am proud of them, I mostly keep it to myself. Um, I had the experience during uh, lockdown or, you know, during the, the peak of COVID, um, our, our older son came uh, to live with us for a couple of months. And so I saw firsthand, he was sober during that time, but I saw firsthand day by day, just how tough that fight is. And I, and I you know, I had lost side of that, you know, because I hadn't seen him, you know, up, up close like that. And I saw, you know, that some days it was clear. It was like a knife fight that he was going through. It was like trench warfare. Um, and there were other days that were good, but I was really proud of him. It, you know, he, it was tough and, and he is tough. And the fact that he stayed in the fight, as Kate you know, said, you know, just the fact that he stayed in the fight 
um, you know, made me hugely proud and, and still does today. Now, Peter, my definition of what I'm proud of has changed, right? When the kids were little, we, you're proud of their grades in school and you're proud of what they're going to be when they grow up or when they make the honor roll or they do these things. Now, I'm proud when they're independent. I'm proud when they learn a new skill. I'm proud when they accomplish something that had been hard for them. And I just wanted to say that shame becomes a distraction for me. It keeps me from moving forward. It keeps me stuck. It keeps me in that rabbit hole. It gets, to be honest, in the way of my endurance. And, you know, these last, you know, few years of, of role, you know, relapse, relapse, relapse has been endurance. And when I'm in shame, I can't show up the way I want to show up. I can't figure out what principles do I stand on. I lose track of me because I'm squirrely. I'm squirrely and I'm not thinking clearly. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking about folks talking about what they're proud of. And, and Jay, you know, you sharing about, you know, your kids and, you know, um, what your expectations were at one point versus now. And, you know, and I, and I think about my own family members. Uh, I have an older brother who, you know, is not an alcoholic, he's not an addict. He's the farthest thing from, I I think he's the milkman's kid because he's not an alcoholic and addict. I'm like, how'd you get into this family? Um, But as I mentioned, he was a very smart, very precocious kid. And he was a kid who was so smart. He actually dropped out of college because he was bored. Um, and it was a lot of shame for my father and my father struggled with that. Um, and in his alcoholism struggled with that. And, and today I'm so incredibly proud of my brother for what he does. Um, professionally, he's a volunteer fireman. He helped build part of the Mars lander that they, a rover that they actually crashed into Mars. How many years ago? He has a t-shirt to prove it. These little things that you, you don't expect. Um, and so when we sort of reduce our expectations or put them to the side and say, okay, expectations, what should be, but what really is. And so if somebody can get 24 hours sober, we can have a lot of pride about that. If somebody can get, you know, a, a, a week sober. Um, I mean, you know, Steve and Vino, um, I'm a musician by hobby. Uh, I front a rock band. I am by no means shy. And by any stretch, give me a microphone and an audience. I'm a happy camper. And yet when I stand in chapel and give somebody a, a coin, I get the clamped, I get choked up, I get teary, I almost get nervous. Um, because there's a great both pride and humility um, that can both coexist at the same time. I think pride and humility can, can, can coexist really well at the same time. Humbleness about where we are in the universe. You know, I have an impact on patients. I have an impact on family members. I am not the all end all be all. Thank God. <laughs> Do not want to be in charge of this universe by any stretch. Um, but I'm also conscientious and conscious of that. If I say something that helps somebody fantastic and I can have a little pride in somebody who says, Hey, after a year, two years, five years, you know, I just want to say thank you um, and, and, and how deeply that affects me as a person and how deeply that fills my soul to be part of their journey. And I think as parents, you know, you can't control everything, but you can certainly contribute. And I think that that balance of I can't control, but I can contribute. And if I can contribute the best I can and I can take some pride in that and I can say, once again, I've done the best I could do that you can sit back and, and take a breath and sit and, dare I say, you know, sit and glow in that a little bit. Like when, when your child has a great moment, say, yeah, you know, I might have not controlled that. I didn't make the goal for them, but I provided something and that's my kid. That's my DNA. That's, they, they are a little bit of who I am. So I think finding some balance, as we ask our, our recovering family members to do, to find a little balance in life, which is the most difficult thing probably for any alcoholic addict or member of Al-Anon. <laughs> Finding balance, what a challenge. You know, there, there's been talk tonight of um, the expectations that we had and the expectations that we have now. Um, one of the things that comes to my mind that makes me so proud 
is when I watch my son do the next right thing. And I've learned that expression from him. And he truly embodies living that. And I remember um, we were visiting him in the state where he was in uh, treatment. And it was during the pandemic. And there was, you know, a blue face mask on the on the grass. And I must have passed it three or four times going back and forth from the hotel to my car. And he was with us and he bent down and he picked it up and he walked over to a garbage pail. And I said, why'd you do that? I must have passed it three or four times. And he said, why should the groundskeepers have to pick pick it up? I'm here. I can bend over and pick it up. It's just the right thing to do. And it blew me away. And at that moment, I felt so much pride for him. I I watched him graduate college drunk and really didn't feel proud of him at that that moment. But watching him throw away that blue face mask brought me so much, you know, in Yiddish, the term nachas, so much pride. Um, Yeah, my expectations are way different than they were years ago. I can see that. I want to go back to this idea of shame as a form of blindness. On her way to becoming 14 and getting into serious psychiatric and substance abuse problems, my daughter showed remarkable talents, not genius talents, not show-off talents. I'd never seen anybody who was better with small children than she was. She managed to get, you could get the most obstreperous and troubled kid in the world, and she would have them eating out of her hand. She was a talented artist from the beginning. We used to go out with her when she was still 8, 10, or 11, and go out with her to friends' houses for dinner. And I think, where did this kid get all this social skills? She's so together. She handles it so well. What happened when she turned 14 was I went blind to all that. I forgot about it. I was paying attention instead to my daughter, the problem. My daughter struck with the disease. I had difficulty remembering that she wasn't just a problem. She was also a person with a lot of traits and qualities and part of her personality. And I, it has taken me a long time to get past a, a narrow focus on the fact that she is, for us, a big problem. She was, she's been a big problem for us. But she's also a gifted and interesting human being. She suffers terribly, but I'm hoping she can get past that. I think for me, um, sitting around here talking with you all makes me think that maybe the shame was part of the process I needed to go through to be in the pity party um, for myself as a, as a sort of a, a place to be just a place to land. Um, and it wasn't until I was ready to get out of that pity party that I could, that I could hear what was being said to me and what I needed to learn to do and to separate what my son was doing from what I was doing to separate his actions from my feelings. And I, I don't know if it is always, I'm always successful at it, but I think I'm better at it. And uh, I'm I'm thinking now that the idea of being proud of him is is some sort of a more reflection on me as well. Like I I taught him well, you know, I he knows to tie his shoes, he knows to be, say, after you. And, And so I'm proud of him, because it's a good reflection on me. And I'm trying to get away from that. I'm trying to get away from what he does being so connected to to what I've who I am and what I've done. And I think we're, um, I think we're growing together in, in a better way now. Hey V, it's only fair that if, if you feel the shame, you get to feel the pride also. So mm-hmm. you're allowed to. Um, 
It's good to have a inject a little fairness into this whole exactly. uh, experience. Fairness is, Thank you. Fairness yeah, would be fair. good. So um, I, I think there's something very good that's been taking place for a number of years now. I believe at least my views, it's, it's not as shameful, this disease. When I first started coming to these meetings 12 years ago, it was very shameful. Um, the kid's a drug addict. He steals, he lies, he cheats, um, stole from us. Who steals from their parents? Um, I've learned all of, our, one, all of our children. All of our children. <laughs> yeah, most. Oh. I've learned that that those are symptoms of the disease. My son's been sober for five and a half, five years now. I don't believe he has stolen, cheated, or lied. Um, uh, and if he uses again, which I hope he doesn't, there's a good chance he's going to steal and lie again. Um, there's symptoms of this disease. But five, six years ago, I think there's been a sea change over that period. Um, when Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away from an overdose, Diane Sawyer spoke about it on the evening news. I think it's the first time ever that National News spoke about the disease of addiction. And it was impossible to get reimbursed from insurance companies. It's not always so easy still, but it's better than it was. So I, I think that there's less there's even less reason to be shameful. Um, I got over it long before I heard of Philip Seymour Hoffman. But a lot of people, it's harder. And I, I just think that the whole, it's on the front page of the newspaper every day. Um, uh, so I, I think it's, I'm hopeful that people will feel less shameful, will feel more open to come to meetings like these to learn what I was fortunate to learn when my wife tricked me into going to my first parent support group meeting and I've never turned back since then and I give her a lot of credit for tricking me um true story uh so <laughs> I, I don't think it's just for me I don't I didn't have much shame then and I don't have any now none and as I said earlier I have a lot of pride and I think it's easier to be that way over the last number of years than it was when I first started coming to these meetings. And by the way, the first program my son was in, he was 14 uh, and was away from home for a long time. I'll tell you, Jay, one of the more difficult conversations I had with my niece this weekend was over her shame of relapse and repeated relapse. And her, you know, so while the education, and I use the word disease, she went crazy. I don't have a disease. Well, it probably shows you the state of the nation. Um, but she can't hear me when I say I'm proud. She can't hear me. You know, like she said, you never tell me how proud you are. And I realized, I don't think you can hear me say it. You know, you focus if I say something, you know, uh, constructive or she would say critical, that's what she's picking up on. She doesn't hear my, you know, uh, I'm proud of how you stay in that fight. I mean, you know, in June, she got fired from her job. She relapsed. She went out and she went back to AA and she started again. That to me is a lot to be proud of but she can't hear it. Her shame overwhelms her. And I am not as always as sensitive to her shame as I should be. Yeah. Kate. Uh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I hear that. And um, Eric, what you were saying about striking a balance and, you know, finding that, you know, kind of equipoise, right. It, it is very hard. And, and that is something that vis-a-vis -vis pride I, I have learned over the last few years that, you know, for me, like, it was very easy to like, always be ready to like declare victory, like, okay, we're out of the woods now, right? And now I, I, I'm more grounded in the realities of a chronic disease, right? That, you know, relapse, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a part of the picture sometimes. And there are two steps forward, and there's one step back and one step to the side. And so instead, you know, I, I sort of temper and qualify, you know, the, the pride, the, you know, the feelings of pride 
instead of framing it that way, it's like today is a good day today. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, and I'm super happy with that. I am Mm -hmm. super grateful for every good day. Mm-hmm. You know, I appreciate mm-hmm. that, Peter. And, you know, I, I want to visit the, the, the subject of relapse very briefly. Uh, last time I was on the podcast, Steve, you tell me how many years ago it was. We talked about relapse and part of my history at Karen in the last 15 years is I was for five years, I was the director of the relapse unit. So I have some experience with relapse patients, um, the relapse process. And people would ask me, you know, Eric, what's the difference between treating a primary patient, that patient who's coming for the first time, and a relapse patient? And, you know, there's a couple of differences, but one of the main differences is the type and level of shame that the patient experiences, as well as the family member, you know, that, that, and that, that dash of hope. Um, and one of the things I tried to give to family members when they would call up and say, all right, what's going to be different this time? Um, is to give them some hope that we might be able to do something a little bit different and that if the patient is coming in and willing to try again, uh, to somebody's point, I think it might have been Kate earlier who said, you know, still willing to fight, still willing to fight for, for the recovery, even just for today, um, so that gives hope and that gives some pride. Um, and, 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 and Kate, to your point, you know, sometimes we try and give people compliments or show pride and they're not able to hear it. And that's so incredibly difficult because we want them to hear our words, feel our feelings, feel our positivity, and they might not be in a spot to do that. And that's an incredibly, incredibly difficult spot, especially for parents who want nothing but for their kids to feel that much better or a little bit better or to feel a little bit of hope. You know, you want nothing more but for your children to be able to flourish, even just that modicum of a, of a bit more. Um, and so there's a real challenge in there. Um, but I think not giving up, I think not giving up is so incredibly important um, in, in your hope and in your pride of whatever your child is, is, is struggling to do at that moment. Um, okay, I want to just follow up. Well, a little bit on Jay's remark about Diane Sawyer and Seymour Hoffman's death. There is still in this society a big shame about the fact of how common and how powerful substance abuse is. As an example of that, take a look at most news coverage, including good newspapers. I don't mean crappy newspapers good newspapers covering things like homelessness. They rarely say the simple truth that the vast majority of homelessness, at least in this big city, comes from people who are losing the battle in substance abuse. They don't say it. They talk about homelessness as if it were just some very sad thing that happened. I understand that they don't want to make the homeless culpable by pointing this out, but it is a fact that is very important. Um, I want to just say one last thing. Uh, I am extremely proud of the parents that I walk along with that get educated enough to be able to deal with some of the things that they unfortunately have had to dealt with, deal with and have dealt with. I remember when Stephen, his first night <laughs> at a meeting that a few of us witnessed. Stephen, I can't tell you how proud I am from where you were to where you are. And at times your child has not been much better. Other times she has, fortunately. Yes. So I really think that um, my experience in, in many years worth of uh, cumulative parent support group meetings, wonderful to watch, and I watch with pride. I think uh, uh, I echo those feelings uh, that you have, Jay. And, and furthermore, I've had a few years now of a son in recovery. And he shared with me in a variety of ways how he's proud of me and how he's proud of his mom. And and that's a very different feeling, a very powerful feeling. Eric, thank you. It's good to see everybody. It's 
always so good to be together. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good Thank night. you. This is a podcast by parents for parents. We are not professionals, but parents offering our own experiences with the hope that it might help others. We are not experts, and our words are our own, with views not necessarily shared by care and treatment centers. Nothing that we offer in our comments should be considered instructional or diagnostic. Definitely not treatment. And it is not specific to any particular person. Just our general thoughts based upon our own experiences with our family members. Please visit, call, consult with healthcare professionals, your doctor, and other qualified specialists. And do not change what your healthcare professional advises based upon anything you heard a parent say in this podcast. We are not addiction experts. Just parents sharing our personal experiences with other parents.